Hello again, and welcome back to the Killing the Great White Male. This is episode 27, which this is kind of fun to watch these episodes rack up. Um, but this is the more of our conversation with TL about Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. We left off last time talking a little bit about equal funding of schools and some of the issues there. So let's dive right back into it. Let's do our best Patrick Stewart and engage. Well, so I'm mixing that with the notion of of the desire for separate be equal that is still very present and I have to respect. And I'm not going to respect it from a white guy. Like here, it, okay. it, this is where this gets messy for me because I'm like, because exactly of those intelligences, the different ways of knowing, the different ways of being that I'm like, I can't fucking stand the thought of a, of a, of a school by affiliation or that that's white. I just, I can't do it. Right. You, you don't like, <laughs> I mean, but we have it today. It's like you said, it's present. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's not, it's not this, is this a predominantly white institution? Yeah. Because we volunteer to go to this predominantly white institution. Is this an HBCU, a historically black college and university? Yeah. Can white people come? Absolutely. They they give scholarships to white people at HBCUs. If 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 you have mm-hmm. listeners that didn't know that, so there's definitely some some white people there. But I, I'll tell you this, just from conversations with my wife and her friends who all went to mainly HBCUs, um, they talk about their white counterparts who also went to school with them, and they're getting the adverse effect of what we normally get when we go to a PWI. Um, yeah. It's like I'm not around my people. This is very different. The culture is very different. It's a it's it's a shock to their own system. But because they have this scholarship, it's like this is this economically this is the best opportunity. Say that again. They're locked in. Yeah, economically, this is the best opportunity that I have to get my education because just like black people and white people, we have classism in our, in our in both our communities yeah. not every white person can afford to go to the big yales and harvards and stanfords yep. and or even the the basic the um the, the basic state schools um the the illinois states or the oh, arizona yeah. states or the Florida states of the world so if they have the opportunity to get a scholarship to florida agriculture and mechanical fam you a historically black college um or university they take advantage of that economic opportunity, and when given that ep- economic opportunity, you make the you make the best of your opportunity. And um, but again, you know, they're they're dropped into a culture they're not used to. And that I mean points to one of the bigger things that he does. He does link in the book um, racism and capitalism. He calls them the conjoined twins of the of the Portuguese descent, and he does a really solid job of, with that of arguing that. But that right there, by the way, the way I know that. Uh, the historically black college argument versus uh, predominantly white institution argument is actually as a state school versus private school thing, which, and I attended both. Um, and it's mm-hmm. my state school that I expect to fuck up my transcripts. <laughs> <laughs> versus, versus prep school. Like it's, it's almost a one-to-one and it's interesting. I was, I was having to reflect as we were talking about the ways that I give a pass to that private institution, which by the way, fucking flunked me out. Like, I was, oh, gosh. after I, uh, I, I had undiagnosed ADD, it is, it, one of my pushbacks on the system, the argument that I'm making with killing the great white male is that as a great white male, I have so much to gain by the end of these racist systems, by the end of homophobia, by the end of sexism, by the end of these isms and the end of my own privilege, because 
this right here is one of the things I can point to and say, if I had not been a white boy, they would have noticed this shit sooner and I wouldn't have flunked out of college. Yeah. That's because very, yeah. all those fucking he, behaviors, you know, he I wouldn't have gotten that in pass. the book. Yeah, he points to that in the book. If if you if again, if we equalize across this ethnic line, <laughs> yeah. if we equalize everybody and 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 stop trying to say one race is superior and the other one's inferior and we're all looked at on this under the same lens, yeah. Then you then it's the individual person that's pointed out. But we have to find a way to get there. And I know I'm going back, Royce, but I, I it's a it's a quote from um President Lyndon B. Johnson, I believe. Oh yeah. Good that he God. Out, uh is it is it is it is it is it I'm going back to like page twenty seven or so. See if I can pull this out. I know he talked about uh oh no, it's not Lyndon B's quote. But I'll start from where Lyndon B. wrote on, on back on page 19 when he's just trying to define what an anti-racist is. Yeah. As, pre- as President Lyndon B. Johnson said in 1965, you do not take a person who for years have been hobbled by chains and liberate him, bring him up to the starting line of the race and say, you're free to compete with all the others. Yes. And still just believe that you have been com- completely fair. And then as U.S. Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman said, wrote in 1978, in order to get beyond racism, we must first take account of the race. There is no other way. And, and in order to treat some persons equally, we must treat them differently. Yes. And to me, that just spoke to the intention that we have to have yeah. in order to equalize these lines. I, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a few things that he put in this book that really hit home and set the the tone from the very beginning of the book yeah. on how I read everything else. Like what I, when I hear that, I start to, and I hear, you know, your desire to say, you know, sometimes some of us would want to go to a, an elementary school, you know, that was a, a black elementary school, you know, and get to explore mm-hmm. the, the beauty of the variety within uh, folks who look kind of like me, but, are very different, you know, and, and the wondrous variety that, that is present in the huge black community. Cause when we say that so many different cultures and, and heritages within this umbrella. Um, so when I hear that and I set it alongside the fact that I'm like, yeah, but I ain't going to allow fucking white schools to exist. I, that shit needs to be killed, you know? And I start to look at, so, so, but what happens if we have, uh, I look at Albuquerque um, if the schools on the south side in the in the what is it the southwest part of town um, were as good as the schools in the neighborhood that we chose when we moved here, and I've ended up hating it, um, and I, I I subbed at my kid's school. That's another story we'll get to, but um, <laughs> oh my god, dude, I'll tell you, yeah. Um, but it um, like if if all the schools in the variety of parts of town here in Albuquerque were fucking amazing. But the schools that were in neighborhoods that were predominantly white were told, if you don't recruit and, uh, and, and create amazing spaces for at least X percentage of your, your student body to be people of color, um, to be people outside your norm, um, you know, we're going to shut your school down. Uh, and they mm-hmm. had to actually 
you had to actually entice people to come to this school. <laughs> um, you know, oh, wow. What happens differently in that system where the white school is discriminated against deliberately to serve the larger mm-hmm. thing and told, yeah, you have to recruit people because they all want to go to their schools, quote unquote, their schools. Um, yeah, yeah, quote unquote, their schools. Yeah, it's, 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 that's, that's an interesting conversation. Um, it makes me think of one of, one of the stories I heard from one of my friends. I, so I have a, a, a friend who's originally from New York. He lives in Florida now. He's, a, he's in banking. He's one of the um, branch managers at a, a, a pretty large bank. I, don't, I, won't, I won't name it him or, or the bank. But he grew up in New York and ended up going to a predominantly white institution for college. And within one year, he decided, and after his first year, he decided that, hey, this, I don't know if this school is for me. Yeah. He transferred from Virginia Tech and went to um, Florida A&M, FAMU, yep. here in Florida. That's how he got here in Florida. And he likens his experience to saying now, as I mean, as he looks back at his experience, he goes, I, and when I was in New York in high school, I was pretty much amongst uh, a melting pot of people. And that was something I was used to. So I thought going to Virginia Tech, was going to be good for me. My friends were going there and I thought it was going to be a melting pot of people, but I, I experienced a predominantly white institution that had a, a ton of, 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 I don't want to say racist overtones. Um, but he, I mean, that's, that's, that's the impression that he gave me. Yeah. And he said, um, making the decision to go to a historically black college or university like FAMU, he said, not only was it good for him, he said he, he was able to now see the contrast of a PWI to a HBCU. He said, and being coming from that melting pot in New York um, from high school, he said it was things about his culture that he wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn had he never went to this HBCU. So yeah, sometimes that should that should be allowed as a choice where I go separate but equal. But we need to get to the equalizing point because just as stated out throughout the book there's still policies in place yes. that don't properly fund these schools as if they're equal, because that's the true crux of that's kind of yep. the crux of separate, but equal. When we look at these HBCUs versus PWIs, um, that's the true crux of separate, but equal. I, it's like, I'm choosing to go here, not because I hate white people or not because, or you're, or, or you're choosing to go to a PWI because you hate black people. This is my choice. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the type of school that I want to be around. This is the environment I want to be around. But Just like means- people choose Harvard. We have versus to, MIT. We have to have <laughs> policies then that support that that these are valid institutions. And right now, mm-hmm. bluntly, PWIs are not valid institutions. So, yeah, some of them are not. They're just the school that's a huge there. number of them. I mean, you're right. Yeah. Let's not generalize. And right. statistically, <laughs> like so, uh, we had um, a couple of weeks ago. We had a friend of mine from. Uh, from one of the seminaries I attended, um, and which was, I mean, I, I credit that seminar seminary. It was the second seminary I went to. Um, I credit that one with helping me really just move into the, the identity of, of learning to be an anti-racist, learning to be anti-sexist, learning to question power totally differently. All of the, the things that I know to be the best parts of me now. Right. Um, so an institution that I, I have a dear heart in my plate, a dear place in my heart for. And she was talking about her experiences when, when she and I did a pre-show interview, her experiences of racism at that, at that institution, because she would call them to account. 
And that was painful for the, again, predominantly white male. <laughs> they, were, they were changing it, but it was not changing fast. But the leadership was still very much in the white male vein. And, and it, was, it caused problems. She almost lost her scholarship. Um, oh, wow. And then I, I talked to uh, another friend of mine. In fact, the, the Michelle, somebody who's going to be on our show tomorrow, um, she's, she, I got to know her at that institution as well. Um, and she talked about it and talked about what the scholarship cuts meant, even though she had greater need on the FAFSA. Um, you know, so, you know, so when we look at what institution, not, okay, what policy driven racism, I got to change my language because I think Kendi nails this. We got to stop using the terms institutional racism. Racism is always institutional. Um, yep. When we look at policy within predominantly white institutions, they have to create policies that shift that shit. Well, I'm excited because my spouse is is a minister, and she's looking at. I guess it sounds like she's reading this book next with a group from her church. Um, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna watch this because one of my questions is: it, again, it's a very white liberal church. They've deliberately been open and affirming around the issues of uh, gay marriage and homosexuality, trans folks, uh, all sorts of different things around that. But their racism has very much been been part of it, even when it was unintended. Um, and, and, and again, I look at, so why is, why does that exist? Because they didn't have anti-racist policies. You know what? Again, I think Kendi nails it. Yeah. He nails it on, he, he nails it through just throughout the book. And I, and I, it, in, in retrospect of me reading the book and now speaking about the book <laughs> and just the layout for how he goes through and defines Oh God! Um, what an anti-racist is to having a dueling consciousness, yep. um, as W.E.B. Du Bois put it, um, when he in his time of writing to even the power structure or the body or the class or the ethnicity. Yep. That's how he defines all of the perversions of racism that we could have. Like I said, I, I, I struggled with. I had my own challenges reading some of the some of the book with a, a lot of things that I, I, I tended to disagree with. Let's and go there. I found, Cause I got one on my list too. Oh, okay. <laughs> one of the, I, I, I just really had a struggle with, I'm a big fan of, um, of Jane Elliott, her blue eyed brown eye experiment. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I almost turned off the book. I almost had, I literally had to put the book down, stop reading and then come back to it later because of the way he, 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 groups jane elliott martin luther king and some of the people who I, I love and respect their teachings and they've had an influence on me as this assimilation segregation ideal ideology group of of, of people and so it challenged it, i mean one of the things it was that, challenging I, so i want to i want to wrestle with this because it he i i heard both like i heard him the MLK ones are the ones I remember. Um, I heard him speak against his assimilationist notions when they were assimilationist. And I heard him speak, actually lift up some bits of MLK and say, and he knew this was a problem. Here's where he says it. You know, he nailed it. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like he, he did a decent job of, of acknowledging that these folks were not static either. 
that they had multiple yeah, I, viewpoints. I, and, and that and that was the challenge that I had oh, okay. because I felt like I was on a bit of a roller coaster. Okay. Because again, some of the, some of these things, some of these teachings and writings and speeches from some of these people um, have helped shape who I am. Yeah. And it wasn't until later where he pulled it together, and I go, "Oh, that's what he meant." <laughs> Shit. I completely get it. This is not, right. I was ready to throw the book against the wall and just go. He doesn't know what he's talking about, even though I liked his last read, his last writing. Um, <laughs> it's like you don't know what you're talking about anymore. You were just scared because of what happened at the end, or what, because of what you were talking about at the end. Boom! Get this book out of my face. Yeah. But then, as he pulls, he he really eloquently pulls together and states the case for, like you said we're not all static in how we view um, racism, anti-racism, or as, as he puts it, not racist. Yeah. I love the fact that he says not racist because that's one of the I'm things that we racist. say. I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. Right. I'm not racist. Yep. No, you, you may not, you, you may not be paying attention to racism as a whole or participating, um, willfully participating, but you're participating by not being anti-racism. It, that moving, shifting that bar is really important. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's the same shift, you know, when we look at what, uh, what happened largely around consciousness around the Me Too movement from, it's not that, it, it's not just that no means no, it's that only yes means yes. And it's the same mm-hmm. shift that I see Kendi saying here, which is, it, it, no, look, even if you haven't said the N word, you, uh, if you are not doing anti-racism work, if you are not actively seeking policy change in whatever organization you're a part of, it doesn't fucking matter. Like you don't have to go to the U S Senate and change shit there. Change it in your goddamn church. Change it in right. your, your book club. You're not acting against it. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you are not actively resisting this, then you're part of that system. And, and I'm not going to give you a, a bluntly, the thing I came away with is I can't give myself a pass or anyone else a pass on the, it was unintentional. He's very kind several points in the books because he, he does a good job of saying, however, you know, well-intentioned these things were. And it was still racism, you know. That yeah, was, absolutely. And it... The road to racism is paved with good intentions. I mention, as as this little segment closes, I mention that I feel like Kendi is is very kind when he talks about well-intentioned solutions that didn't actually solve the problem. I'm not always sure I can give myself a pass on some of these things because I've participated in racism more times than I can count. And I think that being well-intentioned is part of the problem. Because it requires that we stop doing and we stop fixing and we start following instead. And I'm kind of convicted of that many times throughout my life. That sometimes it's about sitting down and shutting up and listening to the marginalized voice and trying their way and following them. Sometimes it's about making sure that as a white man, I'm a guest in other people's spaces so that I can see how other 
well, how other folks think and do things. Maybe break down that notion of other a little bit. Maybe they're just waking up parts of me that I've ignored. There's a lot there. There's a lot to think about. So, if you haven't checked out the Patreon for our show, it's at Killing the Great White Male on patreon.com. Jump in there, become a patron of the show. We're looking forward to the vaccines and opening back up and all that happy, fun stuff. But most of all, I'm looking at getting to do these interviews face-to-face. And I want to be able to, to do that with you. So become a patron. Help make it happen. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.